Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary. Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Our Lady, seat of wisdom, pray, pray, for, pray us. for us. Joseph, pray, pray for, for us. us. Nicholas, pray, pray for, for us. us. Mother and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good. Okay. So, we have uh, the equivalent of six classes left, right? So, is, is three classes. So, okay. We're, we're doing pretty well, given our limitations. Um, now, you guys have been great with this so far because I'm squeezing. You know, in, into this latter part of the course, basically a, a whole semester. You know, uh, the marriage part. That's that's the way this is set up. So, um, so it's good you pay attention. And of course, I, you know, I have to uh, skim over things that are not terribly important and focus on things that are. But just remember, this is as practical as any of the courses you're going to get because this is what you're going to need to do for months, right? Uh, right? You're going to be ordained in May. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So hey, you know, you gotta be ready to the ground running. You know, um, we don't have enough priests, and guys are really, really needed. And weddings, uh, as you may have an idea already, and will discover for yourselves, weddings can be a lot of work. You know, uh, and so it's a real, it's a way, a really practical way in which you can really, really help your uh, your pastors. So, uh, so it behooves you to learn this stuff as well as you can. And, and, and as I'm talking about it, think of yourself dealing with a couple that's facing whatever this impediment is or whatever this procedure is. Think of yourself doing this stuff, right? Um, because, because it's coming up pretty quickly, okay? At least for those who are going to be ordained deacons. For those others who uh, were not, they can wait a little bit. Let us start dealing with uh, actually having to do this stuff for real. That's what we're talking about. Okay. Um, okay, so um, we were talking about um, uh, delegation, I believe. Is that where we left off? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 11-11. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so when um, when a pastor can can I read it right? When a pastor is appointed a pastor, he automatically has um, the faculty. Uh, as it says, of assisting marriages within the limits of, of his territory, right? So he has that automatically. And then he can delegate, which is going to happen to you a lot, a lot of times. Now, I think uh, with your own assignment as a deacon to a parish, I think you are given delegation, automatic delegation to do weddings in that parish. I'm not saying, uh, but, but find out. I, I just don't know. Um, uh, uh, the... the um, Diocese of Lake Charles, where I was helping out, I mentioned that to you, I was just helping out. Um, some big problems with permanent deacons uh, doing weddings that they, the bishop finally said, enough. And with the approval of the priest council, he said, every single wedding that any any um, permanent deacon uh, does, he must receive delegation directly from uh, the chancery office, and, and he doesn't have it automatically belong to the parish because they were messing up so much, you know? So um, this is a problem in other places, you know. Um, it's not going to be as much of a problem here because, quite frankly, you're getting better prepared. It's not me. I just know the way, uh, you know, I've been instructed to teach this course, you know. So, um, uh, but uh, just be aware of that. You need delegation, okay? So um, typically, um, 
The delegation comes from your being assigned to a parish, but you have to see what is going on in your own diocese. If you have that automatic delegation, or if you need delegation for each wedding, and that would then come from the pastor or the parochial vicar. You can do that as well. But delegation for the faculty to do the wedding is required for validity. If you don't have the faculty to do the wedding, the marriage is invalid. And I've done a lot of annulments on the basis of, I don't think I've had any deacon stupids involved in this, but father stupid. It doesn't have the, didn't get delegation. Father idiot, father stupid. It's so basic. And I know when I was a student, the professor got it through to all of us pretty clearly, because we all got the point. We had to start doing weddings right away. We got the point, you need delegation. Somebody has to say to you, you have delegation. So that's what you need. See if your assignment to the parish includes delegation to do weddings. That's number one. And I'm presuming it does. Then if you go to another parish, whenever you do a wedding, make sure you hear those words ringing in your ears. You have delegation. The pastor or the parochial vicar must speak those words to you. Or it could be in writing. If you're going to be in a parish, if you're going to help out in a neighboring parish, where you're not assigned, but it just so happens you know a lot of people there or whatever it is, and you end up doing a certain number of weddings there, you might be given general delegation, but that must be in writing. We can't say that. So you don't have to ask the pastor then for each wedding because you're doing so many. And I can see that happening. If a deacon gets popular in a particular area, I could see his going from one parish to another kind of thing. So the pastor might just say, even though you're not assigned to this parish, you have delegation. Here, I'll put it in writing. And he has to put it in writing. But otherwise, if it's just for an individual wedding, you have delegation for this wedding. Hear those words. All right. So that's basically Canon 1111. Canon 1112 is coming up. Although thanks to you guys, not just you guys in this class, but thanks to the permanent deacon programs in most American dioceses, this might not come up in the United States, but it has come up elsewhere. Canon 1112, where there's a lack of priests and deacons, the diocesan bishop can delegate laypersons who assist in marriages. And it's a whole rigmarole. So just be aware that that could end up happening in our country because we're running out of priests very, very fast. Who knows? Maybe we'll get down to very, very few priests. So the deacons will be doing all the weddings. Then the deacons will get stretched too much. We will need these laypeople to do these things. So just be aware that Canon 1112 is something that is being used in some countries and could end up being used in ours as well. So requirements for illicit assistance in marriage, as we're moving on to Canon 1113, 
these these are just general canons of just common sense. Before a special delegation is granted, all those things which the law has established to prove free status are to be fulfilled. You don't have to worry about 10-11-13. It's just common sense. It says the pastor can't delegate you to do a wedding unless he's sure that everything is all set for this wedding, that the requirements have been fulfilled, that there are no impediments, and pre-canon, and all the rest. And also, the person assisting in marriage acts illicitly unless the person has made certain of the free status of the contracting parties, and if possible, with the permission of the pastor, whenever the person assists in virtue of general delegation. Again, don't worry about 10-11-14. It's just telling you, do your homework. Do what you're supposed to do. Okay, you're delegated to do the wedding. You've got to do the PMI. You've got to get the baptismal certificate. You've got to do everything else. That's now your responsibility. That's all it's saying. So don't worry about canons 11-13-11-14. The other canons kind of cover that, but it's emphasizing, do your job, in effect. Canon 11-15, marriages are to be celebrated in a parish. This is important to understand also. So marriages are to be celebrated in a parish where either of the contracting parties has a domicile, quasi-domicile, or month-long residence, or if it concerns transients in the parish where they actually reside, with the permission of the proper ordinary or proper pastor, marriages can be celebrated elsewhere. So someone wants to do a wedding in your parish. One of the first questions you ask is, well, where do you live? Do you live in the parish? Yeah, okay, how long have you lived here? Two weeks. Then they're moving out. Well, possibly. But if they have a domicile in your parish, yeah, that's what you're there for, right? That's what the parish is there for. So they're entitled to, if they're able to get married, they're entitled to be married in your parish church. Same with a quasi-domicile, if they have a quasi-domicile. It also adds if they have a month-long residence. So if they've lived in the parish for a month, even though they don't even have a quasi-domicile, you can do the wedding. In the case of transients, if you get one of those, call the chancery office. The person's a transient, doesn't even have a residence. But if they actually are residing in your parish at that moment, you can, according to this canon, do the wedding, but you also need to check with the chancery office before doing the wedding of any transients. Remember, that was an earlier canon. All right, so basically, and the typical scenario is, the typical scenario is you're trying to figure out where this person has a domicile or a quasi-domicile. If the person does not have a domicile or quasi-domicile in your parish, then that person is going to need permission from their own pastor. So the last sentence, with the permission of the proper ordinary or proper pastor, marriages can be celebrated elsewhere. And this happens all the time in a metropolitan area where at least one of the parties doesn't live in your parish. So they need permission from their proper pastor. Be sure you have that. And the reverse happens as well. Somebody from your parish is going to want to get married in another parish. They need permission from the pastor of your parish. So that's important as well. And this goes to the point of the 
goes on a lot. Um, just about every wedding I do um, you know, ends up with uh, at least one letter being necessary from uh, from somebody's pastor. So just be aware of that. Okay, any questions on that? Okay. All right. Well, this is very very important. Okay. Um, um, actually, it, it's this is not for validity, but you're being very bad if you don't, if you don't, if you don't get that uh, you don't get that letter of permission. Right. And and it's again it's not just a, a, a hoop that uh, we require the people to jump through. There's a reason for that. Why why is the person not getting married in their own parish? Is there a problem? Did the pastor turn them down? Did he turn them down because they're creating a public scandal? Or you know, you've got to find out what's going on. Why can't they get married in their own parish? Or why don't they want? want to, why do, do they not want to get married in their own parish? There could be a problem there. So uh, the pastor has to give his permission. You know? I think I told you about Father. Um, I may or may not have told you, but Father Kaz Kowalski, who, uh, who died recently, who's a, a great pastor of the Archdiocese, and he was pastor of Our Lady of Good Counsel on 90th Street. Uh, he brought in the uh, Friars of the Renewal to do the Catholic Underground. You may have heard of that. Uh, he did a lot of great things there. Uh, he, was a, he was a convert, and he was really, really loved the faith. You know, and uh, he simply had a policy. It's not canon law, but it was his own policy. He would not do the wedding of a couple who had been living together. Uh, if, if, uh, if they wanted to get married, he, he would, would tell them, you've got to separate for at least, I, f I think it was six weeks or something like that. But um, I'm not going to do your wedding if you're living together. Yeah. Um, and that was his right. You know? um, so then uh, if, if somebody, think about it, the couple who lived in, in, his, in his parish would then go to another parish and say, you know, we want to get married. The pastor, the other parish, would need to uh, contact uh, Father Kowalski and find out what the problem is. You know, uh, so you, you need a letter of permission from you would need a letter of permission from Father Kowalski, and he, he might then that might then lead to a discussion whether well, living together. You know, I'm very concerned about the Salvasani Marum here, and so on and so forth. Right? This is an important requirement that you need permission of the proper pastor. Um, uh, <clears throat> now, um, we have the what's called the Extraordinary Canonical Form. We're on page 1334, Canon 116. This is not the Latin, okay, it's not, it's not a, a Latin uh, um, wedding, right, the Extraordinary Form. We're not talking about that. This is an Extraordinary Canonical Form. This is where we use a, uh, a, different, a different form. So it tells us, Canon 1116, if a person competent to assist according to the norm of law cannot be present or approached without grave inconvenience, those who intend to enter into a true marriage can contract it validly and illicitly before witnesses only. That's the extraordinary form. Before witnesses only. You don't have um, uh, a deacon or a priest or a layperson who's properly delegated. You have no one who has um, competence uh, to assist its marriage. Um, they can enter a true marriage, valid list of the whole bit before witnesses only, when? In danger of death. Okay. And number two, outside the danger of death, provided that it is prudently foreseen that the situation will continue for a month. Um, you know, I wouldn't worry about that too much, you know, uh, but in danger of death, that could, that could happen, you know. Um, and in either case, 
if some other priest or deacon who can be present is available, he must be called to be present at the celebration of the marriage together with the witnesses without prejudice to the validity of the marriage before witnesses only. So what it's saying is there's a priest around or a deacon around. He doesn't have, he doesn't have faculties to do weddings, you know. Um, nevertheless, he's to show up, okay, um, just, just to be there. Um, he doesn't do the wedding. Uh, they, the couple does the wedding before the witnesses only, but he's just present. So that can happen, um, especially danger of death. Um, okay. um, then, um, with 116, you still have to have all the legal paperwork, right? Marriage license. Well, then you follow it up. We're talking about danger of death. Oh, so a person can marry like his fiance in a hospital without marriage license she's about to die yeah yeah you know you do what you can you know um you know to have time to get certainly not gonna have time to get a marriage license you know so do what you can the whole thing would be irregular in some respects but it would be it'd be recognized as cannot be uh, valid obviously you don't want to do this unless you absolutely have to do it because it, it is it creates headaches like like that right um how do you follow this up how do you record it so on and so forth you know so it's much better, even if the person gravely ill, if you can get, um, I don't know how City Hall does these things, you know, but, if, uh, but certainly the Chancery Office would give you, in any diocese would give you whatever dispensation you needed right away, you know. Uh, it's better to do it, they do it over the phone even, so it would be better to do it that way than just to go ahead and do it without any reference to any of these things. Uh, and then as far as uh, um, a wedding license goes, as far as making this, uh, legal in a civil sense, that I don't know. You know? So if a person is doing this because of, you know, inheritance or, you know, will or something, like that, I, don't, I don't know what the legalities would be. So it would be better than in, in any case where you can to do things the normal way. This is the extraordinary form, danger of death, you know, um, basically. Okay. Um, um, so... Uh, all right, we're not, you know, there's so many things we talk about in connection with this, but it, it gets too complicated. Let, let's let's stick to the basics here. Um, <clears throat> those bound by the canonical form of marriage, can 1117, the form established above must be observed. Okay, the form of marriage, whether it's usually the ordinary form of marriage, uh, once in a blue moon, perhaps the extraordinary form that we just discussed, but the form, the canonical form of marriage established above must be observed if at least one of the parties contracting marriage was baptized in the Catholic Church um, or received into it. And don't worry about that last part. It's not defected from a formal act. But um, so um, the, the, just that, okay, the form of marriage binds, um, binds the parties if at least one of them um, is, is, a, is a baptized Catholic. Whether baptized originally as a Catholic, as a Catholic or baptized elsewhere and received it, <coughs> one of them is a Catholic, then the, the couple is bound, both of them obviously, uh, are bound to the form of marriage. Um, now, Canon 1127, number two, that it refers to there, uh, is about getting a dispensation from form. You can get a dispensation from form. Right? But if you don't get the dispensation from form, then the marriage is invalid. Okay, it's important to remember that. 
um, you have a dispensation, um, you have despair, we'll go over this more in a bit, but um, if, for a Catholic marrying a non-Catholic, you have, uh, there are two different types of non-Catholics. There are baptized non-Catholics, Protestants and so forth, um, and you have unbaptized non-Catholics. Uh, if a Catholic marries an unbaptized person, unbaptized, that is invalid, it's called disparity of cult, right? Uh, disparity of worship, disparity of cult, that is invalid. So for a, a, a Catholic to marry an unbaptized person, you would need a dispensation, right? Which, which is a relaxation of the law in a particular case. So uh, it's invalid. For a Catholic to marry a baptized non-Catholic, you know, a Protestant typically, uh, it is illicit. It's not invalid. It's illicit. You need permission. You don't need a dispensation. You need permission. Um, so, so that's that's the difference between those two scenarios. But a Catholic marrying a non-Catholic, whether the non-Catholic is baptized or not, the form is required for validity. For validity. Okay. So the form itself. So if, if a couple is going to get married in a non-Catholic ceremony, you need a dispensation, not just permission, you need a dispensation. <laughs> so, typical example, a Catholic uh, mar attempting to marry uh, a Jewish person in a, a Jewish ceremony, right? Invalid on two counts, okay? It's invalid because the um, because of disparity of cult, because a Catholic is attempting to marry an unbaptized person, and it is uh, invalid because the Catholic wants to marry that person in a non-Catholic ceremony. Both of those make it invalid. Okay. Um, if a Catholic is, is attempting to marry um, a Lutheran uh, in front of a Lutheran minister, it's invalid on one count only. <laughs> it's invalid on um, on the form. Okay, because the form itself. Uh, or the lack of form in this case makes it invalid. The fact that Catholic is marrying um, a baptized non-Catholic makes it illicit, but not invalid. Okay. So in the first case, the Catholic marrying the, the Jewish person, you need two dispensations. Okay. You need a dispensation for disparity of cult. You need a dispensation from form. Okay. In the second scenario, Catholic marrying a baptized non-Catholic. You need a dispensation from form only. You need a dispensation from form, and you need permission, not dispensation, but permission for a Catholic to marry uh, a baptized non-Catholic. See the difference? Silence. <coughs> anyone, does anyone not understand what I just said? We're going to go over this a, a, a little bit um, in, in canons that are coming up. That's the, that's the basic scenario, okay? So you need um, dispensation always for form, always for form. It doesn't matter who the Catholic's marrying. Uh, for a Catholic marrying a non-Catholic, it depends on whether or not the, the non-Catholic has been baptized, whether you need dispensation or just permission. If it makes you get a little computer program where we can plug this in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have to, have to press the button together. Oh, no, you can't get married. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It gets that way, yeah, okay. So that's Canon 1117. 
The form established must be observed if at least one of the parties contracting marriage was baptized in the Catholic Church, received into it, etc. Okay? Now, all right, the place of marriage. This can get really complicated also. Yeah. You want a question, Paul? Pardon? Would you take a question? Yeah, yeah. Sure. The question is, if a marriage is not <clears throat> invalid, but it's illicit, yeah. because a Catholic married a baptized non-Catholic, without the permission and the dispensation from form. Oh, without dispensation from form? Yes. Yeah, then it's invalid. Okay, so then convalidation still applies. We still say right. Form, remember this, form is always required for validity. For validity. It doesn't marry, matter who the Catholic is marrying. The form is required always for validity. There's no getting around the form. There, if, if you're not going to have the Catholic form, you must have a dispensation, not permission, dispensation. Okay? Form is always required for validity. Okay, so that's one scenario. But but then the separate question is the baptized status of the non-Catholic that the Catholic wants to marry. So if the Catholic wants to marry an unbaptized person, that is invalid, so you need a dispensation. If the Catholic wants to marry a baptized non-Catholic, that is illicit and you need permission. Okay. But in addition to whatever you get for that, you still need a dispensation for lack of form. That you always need. Unbaptizes the cult. Pardon? And unbaptized would be the, the disparity of cults, right? Disparity of cults, or dis, or disparity of worship. Things, whole different things. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Good. Um. Okay. So the place of marriage. Um. This is important to understand as well, uh, because there are different rules for different different folks. You know. Uh, depends. Again, it depends who the Catholic is marrying. Um, can 1118 number one, a marriage between Catholics, so first of all, a marriage between Catholics, two Catholics, or a marriage between a Catholic party and a non-Catholic baptized party, baptized party, is to be celebrated in a parish church. It can be celebrated in another church or oratory with the permission of the local ordinary or pastor. Okay, number two, the local ordinary can permit a marriage to be celebrated in another suitable place. And finally, a marriage between a Catholic party and a non-baptized party can be celebrated in a church or in another suitable place. Okay, um, so, and the difference, if you notice, uh, why do you think that uh, it, this canon is so insistent on a Catholic, it's a Catholic marrying another Catholic or a non-Catholic baptized person, all right? We're not talking about a Catholic marrying an unbaptized person. So the, the last part of the canon, in 1118, it, it almost dismisses the Catholic situation of a Catholic marrying an unbaptized person. It says marriage between a Catholic party and a non-baptized party can be celebrated in a church or in another single place. It's almost saying, like, whatever, okay? That's what it's saying. Like a golf club. <laughs> yeah, but, well, but the point is it doesn't, it, it's a suitable place. Now, that's determined by church authorities you know. but um but a catholic marrying an unbaptized person it's saying it's almost saying yeah whatever but a catholic marrying another catholic or a catholic marrying a baptized person oh that's got to be in a church 
or maybe there would be special permission to, uh, that you would need to, for it to take place in another place. But the, the norm is a parish church. Why this difference concerning the place of the wedding between a Catholic marrying another Catholic or, or a baptized non-Catholic and a Catholic marrying an unbaptized person? Why this distinction of the place of marriage? It's a sacrament. It's a sacrament. Exactly. Oh, Dr. Anthony is here. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, sorry, you can't use the video, right? No, okay. I can't. Yeah. You're so, lucky um, you. That, right. That's, that's the difference, okay? It's a sacrament. So you need a sacred place for the sacrament to take place. So it, it tells us it should be celebrated in a parish church. It should be celebrated in parish church. That's that's the norm. Catholic marrying another baptized person. A Catholic marrying another Catholic. A Catholic marrying um, a baptized non-Catholic. Whatever it is, but Catholic marrying another baptized person. That should normally be in a parish church. If you get permission of the local ordinary, the pastor, it could be celebrated in another church or oratory. It's still got to be celebrated in a sacred place. It's still got to be in a church. Maybe not the parish church, but it's still a church or an oratory, okay? Uh, but you need the sacred place. However, this is the complications of life. So, so that's the norm, okay? Parish church or another church. But it can happen that sometimes there's a, there's a good reason for it not to take place in a church, but in another suitable place. So it adds this. Number two, the local ordinary can permit a marriage to be celebrated in another suitable place. Uh, I told you about the wedding um for my, my nephew down in Florida. I didn't tell you that story. I told you that story. You did. You did. Yeah, that story. Yeah. So, um, so my nephew wanted to marry uh, his fiance, now his wife, Rachel. And you can tell by the name she's Jewish, right? So here's a problem, right? Um, disparity of cults and all the rest. Where are they going to get married? Originally, they were going to get married in a Catholic ceremony, and they wanted to get married on the beach down in Florida. And I said, as a good canon lawyer, well, you can't get married on the beach. You have to get married in the church. But, and he said, no, we talked to, we talked to the priest in our parish, and, and he said, in this diocese, the bishop gives permission for weddings to take place on the beach. You know, And I could see why that would happen. You know, uh, and, and I forget what diocese it was in, uh, in Florida, but uh, I can see why that would happen because – there was such a demand for it, and you, you couldn't make it nice if you wanted to. You know? So um, so that would be an example. I was at a canon law convention a number of years ago where there was a presentation on this one canon about the place of marriage, um, the place of, of wedding, the wedding for, uh, uh, for, for Catholics. You know? And uh, someone had actually taken a poll of bishops uh, to find out how often um, bishops availed themselves of this um, – of paragraph two of this canon 1118, uh, permitting a marriage to be celebrated in another suitable place. And uh, I remember they talked about, uh, what's that place that's in Wyoming? Uh, there's a restaurant chain named for it. Um, there's really good hamburgers. Uh, oh, Jackson uh, Hole, Wyoming burger. Jackson, yeah, Jackson Hole, they have really good, sorry doctor, but they're really good burgers. I've yeah. been there a long time. Yeah, I know, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> So Jackson Hole, Wyoming, is, it's a big tourist place, and it de people have destination weddings there. So there was discussion. I don't know whether, whether the bishop was doing it or not, but there was some discussion about uh, allowing weddings to take place outside of churches 
um, in a, a destination place like Jackson Hole, you know. Um, and and they, they, they polled other bishops as well. Most bishops pretty much stuck to the letter of this canon and said, no, it's got to be parish church or in another church or oratory. But occasionally um, the bishop would deem it uh, appropriate for a wedding to take place in, a, um, in what he calls another suitable place. Okay. So it's not an ironclad rule, but in our diocese it is, as far as I know. I know in the Archdiocese of New York, I'm pretty sure in, uh, in Brooklyn and in, um, uh, uh, and in Bridgeport it's the same thing, that, um, that you must have the wedding in a church or a parish church or in another church or oratory. Okay. Uh, but just know that um, it can be dispensed, and it has been. Now, number three is something else. Number three in this canon, uh, we're talking about a marriage between a Catholic party and a non-baptized party. And that can be celebrated in a church or in another suitable place. So, um, and we're talking about, obviously, if you have a dispensation from form, uh, you don't need to get another uh, permission for a, a place, right? Because that carries with it the understanding that it's not going to be in a Catholic church, right? So a uh, dispensation from form for a Catholic to marry a Lutheran, it's understood that's not going to um, uh, that's not going to take place in a Catholic church because it's not going to be a Catholic ceremony, right? Um, but um, but so we're talking about a, this canon is talking about a Catholic ceremony, Catholic ceremony, okay? Um, and the the place of the Catholic ceremony. So it's normally in a church or oratory. Could be in another suitable place, but for a Catholic marrying an, an unbaptized person in a Catholic ceremony, which is what this canon is about, it could be uh, in another suitable place. It could be celebrated in a church or in another suitable place. Uh, however, uh, you need to check out your own diocesan policies about that. As far as I know, um, our diocesan policies for all of our dioceses do not permit this. Okay, we're talking about a Catholic ceremony and the place of the Catholic ceremony. Okay, um, so yes, a Catholic is marrying, say, a Jewish person, but in a Catholic ceremony, um, as far as I know, and I could be wrong about this, uh, we we do not have permission to do that in a in a um, in another place. I, I could be wrong about that um, because there was a lot of discussion uh, a while ago uh, about uh, Catholics marrying. Um, Jewish people, and then they they broaden that to include Muslims and anybody else, and there and because Jewish weddings normally don't don't take place in a sacred space, right? They take place in a in a um, you know a wedding hall or something like that. Uh, um, so the question was, could could um, those weddings be allowed? And um, and finally uh, finally the, the permission was given in the Archdiocese of New York for those weddings to take place. So I could be wrong about this. It could be that they were talking about a Catholic ceremony taking place in a hall, but I'm not sure. I, I have to tell you, I'm not sure about that. So if you're asked to do that, check to see if you're allowed to do that. So, yeah. So I'm trying to remember back 30 years, my younger brother married a Lutheran girl, married, the wedding was in the Lutheran church. Yeah. A Catholic priest, if I remember correctly, sure. celebrated the mass. So celebrated a mass in a, in a... I'm not sure if it was a mass. A mass in a Lutheran church? Years, what does it look like, I guess is what I'm saying. Whoa. Lutheran girl and a um, Catholic boy 30 years ago getting married in a Lutheran church. Yeah. No, what the, does it look like? 
the bigger issue there is a Catholic mass being celebrated in the Lutheran Church. That's a huge deal. That's it. That's separate from anything that didn't happen. Yeah. What does it look like? Who's doing what? Well, there's a priest there and there's a Lutheran minister. Yeah. If it's it depends. Well, if there's if it's a Catholic ceremony, it's a Catholic ceremony, right? You wouldn't get permission, as far as I know. That could have been an that would have been written up. That would have been in catalog journals and things. But yeah, so yeah, for a Catholic for Catholic Mary, a non a non Catholic in a non Catholic church or sacred space, whatever, that it could not be a Catholic ceremony normally. That's what I'm saying. So that's why these things get kind of confusing because, okay, the norm is, right, the Catholic gets married in a Catholic ceremony in a Catholic church, right? In very few circumstances, you get a bishop who will allow, maybe in Jackson Hole or in the beach in Florida, might allow a Catholic ceremony to take place in a non-sacred space like that. But that's kind of rare. The norm is Catholics, if it's a Catholic ceremony, it's going to take place in a church. That's the norm. Separate from that is a Catholic marrying a non-Catholic in a non-Catholic ceremony with dispensation from form. So if there's a dispensation, we're going to get into this in succeeding canons. If there's a dispensation from form, it's not a Catholic ceremony. You don't have to be there at all. So my nephew's wedding ended up taking place because her family objected to me. We don't want a Catholic priest in charge of this. We want a rabbi in charge of this. So they ended up with a, didn't even get a rabbi. They got a cantor. Did I tell that story? Oh, it was awful. Anyway, and it was in a hall. It was an outdoor kind of thing with a fountain and blah, blah, blah. But it was, the cantor did the wedding. And he wanted to go halfsies with me. We're going to see this in subsequent canons. He wanted to go halfsies with me. I didn't tell you this. You did tell us. Yeah. And he said, well, you do the vows, he said to me, because the important part is the rings, as far as the Jewish ceremony is concerned. I said, no, for us, it's just the opposite. But I can't do either one. So I had to tell him, this is a Jewish ceremony. You do your thing. I did tell you this. And then I will say a little prayer, give a little blessing or something. But it's a Jewish thing, right? So early on in my priesthood, I think I might have told you this story as well. There was a lovely couple. He was a fallen away Catholic. As a result of this process, he came back to the church. And she eventually herself became a Catholic. It was amazing. But when they came to me, he was going with this Methodist girl who was going to get married in the, and they were going to get married in the Presbyterian church across the street. The minister there was a lovely man. I think he sent his kids to our school. Anyway, but he was a really great guy. And so they went to both marriage preparation programs, the one for the Presbyterians and the one for us. And that was because the groom, after he'd gotten to some of this Presbyterian stuff, said, well, let's go to my church. Why don't we go to my church? So she kind of goaded him in a nice way into getting more interested in his own church. 
So the whole thing you know, went very well because there were people of goodwill and they couldn't get enough of this pre-Cana. They loved all this, you know, as opposed to most couples that you deal with. They loved talking about wedding, the wedding, the marriage and everything else. And they had a whole bunch of kids afterwards. They, they were all baptized Catholic. So, um, but um, when it came time for the wedding, uh, it was going to be in the physical, in the um, Presbyterian church. Um, and so, but they wanted me to be there and the, the, the minister wanted me to do all sorts of stuff. I said, no, you know, I'll just do a little blessing and so forth. You, you do the uh, ceremony. It was, it, was, it was a lovely ceremony. And then, of course, uh, when they started having, they started going to Mass every Sunday. And then when they had their first kid, they showed up for a baptism. And pretty soon the whole family was Catholic. So, yay. <laughs> so these things, these things can, have, can have happy endings, you know. That same Presbyterian minister once was going on vacation. He was going on vacation. And it was a great honor. He asked me if I could fill in for him and do his Sunday services. I know it was one or two Sunday services, whatever it was, you know. I thought that would be pretty cool, you know, because then I could I could preach and nobody would be looking at their watches, you know, because they watch, you know, it's Protestant. They want you to give a good long novel, you know. But um, we're not allowed to do that, unfortunately, normally, maybe in the military or something. Anyway, I'm getting off, off track here, but um, yeah, they get kind of complicated, but the garden variety is what I just said. A Catholic marrying a non-Catholic with a dispensation from form, it's a non-Catholic ceremony. You you as a deacon uh, may or may not be there. It doesn't matter. It's not, It might be nice if you're there, you can give a little blessing at the end or something, but that's it. You, you can't you can't go halfsies with the minister or the rabbi, whatever it is. You just there as extra attraction, you know? and vice versa. I've got to go the other way. Um, you know, I, I remember uh, particularly this rabbi who was present. At, uh, oh, I had a rabbi and a minister who was a. Um, I think she 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 was a minister. She was an aunt of the uh, bride or something like that, and she was there. And they they stayed inside the and they gave a little prayer at the end and that was it because you know? that was the Catholic ceremony it's either Catholic or it's the other denomination whatever it is you can't go have this right? and you will see we're jumping ahead we're, we're going to see the canons and talk about this this quick question that person can still and with the disposition can still receive communion in the Catholic Church because it's a valid marriage even though they married who's the person the Catholic who married a non-Catholic gets all the correct dispensations oh yeah they're still in good standing in the church yeah and what's it, what happens when, so, when a Catholic marries say a previously married person that didn't get an omelet that, that bars them <coughs> okay what do you think <laughs> imagine the Lord Jesus Christ right. was sitting right here and you came up to him and said I married, I married a girl. Lord is it permitted for a man to divorce his wife and Mary, what did our Lord say? Okay, all right. We're talking about divine law. Okay. Now this is see. This is what happens when you're doing a lot of canon law. You begin to think in terms of uh, prior. Can anybody see me? Oh, they can't see me. Um, sorry. You, you think of prior bond as just. Uh, you begin to think of prior bond as just another hurdle to get over. You know. But think about it. No, this is this is the root of marriage. We're talking about someone who is committing adultery. Okay, that that's what our Lord said. A person divorces their wife and marries another commits adultery. Okay, so uh, is the valid marriage? No, you cannot just get a dispensation or wave a magic wand. And say, no, they're married. You know, and possibly you go through the another process. Possibly they, it, uh, the marriage might be determined to be invalid, or possibly not. 
you know, but you can't presume the marriage is invalid. Remember the canon that says a marriage is presumed valid until proven otherwise, you know? So if somebody comes up to you and is married before, you don't, you don't guess whether or not that marriage is valid. You presume, you presume it is valid and you have to have to act accordingly, you know? And in general, whenever you are preparing somebody for marriage, you're going to ask them, were you married before? And sometimes you have to be very specific. Like, have you ever had a relationship with somebody before? Because sometimes people play games with you and you'll, you'll say, were you ever married before? And they'll think, well, I'm not married to Catholic Church. So no, I wasn't married before. And it turns out they were married before. So you got to determine previous relationships. Is there anything here that has any kind of legality, you know? And, and, and sometimes you'll find out that there was a, you know, it's a non-Catholic who went off to City Hall with another non-Catholic, and it's, it's a valid marriage, right? So you have to inquire carefully. Uh, was there any previous liaison of some kind? And as soon as you hear yes, everything stops. Everything stops. You can't continue after that. Because you're, you're, uh, you could very well be aiding and abetting adultery. And our Lord would not be happy. <laughs> Yeah, just going on a side note on that, and I say that let's say it was a Protestant of some denomination. Yeah. How would they get an annulment so that it would then be their marriage would past marriage would be uh, annulled? Same way as everybody else. Does Protestant religious have that, or you'd have to do it to the Catholic? Church? No, you're talking about somebody who wants to marry the Catholic Church. Right. Well, if a person wants to get married in the Catholic Church, they're bound by our laws, so they have to follow our, you know. So if there's an element that's needed, then, then they get an element from us. Okay. Yeah. Now, and most Protestant churches do not share the faith that we have. They do not believe in the indissolubility of marriage. Right? So it's, 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 it's not the same thing at all. You know? It's divorce. Okay? It's not and, a right? The Protestant marriage, is it? They think it's not. It is. They think it's not. Okay? You know? So there probably is no annulment process. No, why would they want to have an And we, um, I hope we're going to have time to discuss it. We might, might not, but the, um, the, the word annulment is a misnomer, okay? Uh, because, and I can tell, you, you guys are thinking about it the way most Catholics think about it. An annulment is not Catholic divorce. A marriage is valid. Again, our Lord is right here. <laughs> he said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Don't you dare aid and abet that. Especially if you're putting on a stole and doing, you know, you're going to get yourself, you're going to have to answer to me and saying, all right, don't you dare aid and abet that, okay? So, uh, an annulment, yeah, I don't like to use that word, Cardinal O'Connor, uh, refuse to use that word, um, because we do not nullify a marriage. We can't do that. God does that. Death does that. We don't do that. We can't do that, okay? What, what a so-called annulment is, is a trial, okay? The marriage is presumed valid, okay? Always valid. We presume it's valid. The person saying, no, it wasn't valid. And the person then says, I want to go to court to prove that this marriage is invalid. And that's what the tribunal process is. Uh, and And... You know, there, there are judges, there are witnesses, there's evidence, there's a whole bit. At the end, there is a decision before God, and it's very serious. You know, if you read, um, when you get a chance, ask if you can read um, uh, the, 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 the definitive sentence from, an, from a so-called annulment case. Uh, it's, it's very solemn wording, you know, 
And the judge says, having only God before our eyes and having invoked the name of Jesus, we hereby declare, pronounce, et cetera, et cetera, that this marriage between blah, 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 is whatever, considered known from the beginning, or we hold the validity of whatever it is. It's a very grave matter, okay, because it has to do with divine law. So Cardinal O'Connor referred to it as a declaration of nullity, a finding by a church court that a marriage was invalid. Father Elder? Yes. What is actually, so I'm a little confused about declaration of nullity and annulment. What, I mean, declaration of nullity, the marriage is invalid from the beginning, is that correct? Yeah, annulment, we shouldn't use the word annulment. Okay. We can't give annulments in the common understanding of what an annulment is. We cannot nullify a marriage. The marriage is valid, it's valid. We can't then wave a magic wand and make it invalid. Okay. So the word annulment is a misnomer. It really shouldn't be used. So it's a declaration of nullity, which would be a finding by a church court that a marriage was invalid, as you said, from the beginning. Okay. And I hope we'll get to this at the end of the course. I'm not sure if we will, but that's what it is. Okay. It's not, we do not nullify a marriage. It's not, guys, if you can get this through your heads, and ladies, one lady, I'm not sure you're here. If you can get that through your head, it's not Catholic divorce. It's not Catholic divorce, despite what some people think. It's not Catholic divorce. Okay. My wife was previously married, and it took almost two years. And like I say, she had her last living aunt. Couldn't go to 1011, so she, you know, it was... 1011 is, you know, we have 1011s, right? And when she was finally granted, because when I'm done with this class, I want to take a look at it. Yeah. It quotes three kind of laws, and her name went back to her maiden name. Well, the church can't do that legally. The church can't legally change her name. They might have referred to her by her maiden name in terms of the process, but it can't legally declare that she has another name. That's a matter for civil law. In the process, though, they will refer to the wife by her maiden name. But that's only for that process. There are no civil legal ramifications of that. But everyone she talked to, they kept talking about, you know, you're getting a Catholic divorce, and people don't realize it's an actual trial. It took almost two years. And the paperwork is, well, you know, it's back and forth, back and forth. And again, what's on trial? Yeah, the validity of the marriage is on trial, right? But if you guys can get this yourselves, understand this, and then communicate it to the people in your parishes, it's so important because we have a whole divorce mentality, of course, in our culture, obviously, right? Divorce is required practically, right? We have a whole divorce mentality in our culture, but we have it in the church as well. Because people think, okay, so there's a Catholic process, 
and okay, so there's a there's a civil legal process, there's a Catholic process, but it's it's Catholic divorce. That's what so many people believe, including many clerics. You know, it's not. It's not. Father. Yes. John. Hey, I I want to ask a question about divorce and a decree of nullity. When a, the church gives a decree of nullity, whatever the, the situation was, Catholic to Catholic, Catholic to baptized Catholic, uh, baptized Christian, or to a disparity of cult, after the nullity is is decreed, does does the the civil authorities accept that as a decree of divorce or must they go to the civil court and get a divorce to be free to marry civilly as well as in the church no the stuff that goes on in the catholic church has no civil effects nothing no civil effects no so they have to go to the civil court and get a decree of divorce as well yeah and again we're jumping way ahead um but when someone uh wants to bring their marriage to a tribunal and uh, go through the tribunal process and hoping it will be declared null. Um, the tribunal won't even touch it until there is a, a divorce decree because uh, okay. because of the civil civil ramifications of what could happen if somebody um, you know the church so that comes, divorce comes first and then they apply for the decree of of nullity. Yeah, because the church could get in, in trouble with the civil law. I see. Okay, got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, Father Ellie, just one more question. I'm sorry for being sure. so dense. Sure. The um, so we're not using the term. Technically, we're not using the term annulment. That's right. Because uh, it's short. Okay. <laughs> but time to say. So I'd say no, but I shouldn't say annulment. Okay. So if two Catholics get married, they divorce. Now, one of them wants to remarry a Catholic. Yeah. Uh, in a Catholic ceremony, yeah. so they they requ- they need a declaration of nullity, correct? Right. If they were married validly in the church, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If two Catholics ran off um, and and um, got married in a non-Catholic ceremony without a dispensation from form, that's something else. That's that's something that's pretty easy. That right. that kind of a declaration of nullity is granted very easily. You just prove that that happened, basically, and then you set. So what we're saying is dissolution of marriages basically are declarations of nullity, not necess- not annulments. Did you use the word dissolution of marriage? <laughs> I'm using yes. Right. Well, uh, oh. in the civil sense. Oh, to you. <laughs> in the civil sense. Rise and Pharisees, you frauds. <laughs> <laughs> we don't dissolve marriages, right? Right. I get it. Um, but I'm sorry. So what was the question? So the the <laughs> I forgot. No. <laughs> um, so the the basically the 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 uh, the verbiage that we use is declaration of nullity, not annulment. Despite the fact is because what I had there was a discussion that I had with somebody in the parish who you know was one of these people that think that you know they're the pastor, correct? So, um, yes, yes. Uh, Susan from the parish council. That's correct. So they emphatically told me that, you know, that there is a absolute difference between a declaration of nullity and an annulment, meaning that the annulment is a marriage that's valid until proven otherwise by a tribunal. Declaration of nullity is a marriage invalid from the beginning. 
so if someone is invalid from the beginning, so if someone, if a Catholic marries a a, uh, a Lutheran in a civil ceremony, that's an invalid marriage. If they want to remarry in the Catholic Church, that is an invalid marriage. You get a declaration of nullity. However, if it's a marriage valid from the beginning and they divorce, they want to get that Catholic wants to get remarried in the church, then that's an annulment process. So I'm totally totally wrong. (laughs) Good. Okay, fine. So I'm vindicated. Catholic's always wrong. Well, that's that's good. You know, we're talking about there's a, there was a, a Twitter site uh, called Susie from the Parish Council, and she's and she's that type of person. You know, it's it's a caricature. You know, but we all have her in our parish, right? Yeah. So um, uh, her name in my parish is Margaret Flanagan. So um, anyway, and she is the pastoressa. She is the one who knows all things. She's hiring the Pope, right? So, um, no, if a marriage, a marriage is either valid or invalid. If it's valid, it's valid from the beginning. If it's invalid, it's invalid from the beginning. Okay. okay? If you don't have a valid marriage, it suddenly becomes invalid. Okay. That can't. So, basically, annulment is the process. The declaration of nullity is what you get to be able to remarry. Uh, now, what I'm saying is uh, the, the word annulment itself is a misnomer. We shouldn't use that word annulment. That's the problem. We use it as a, sh- as a shorthand. Um, but the real, the more proper term, according to Cardinal O'Connor, he was correct, is declaration of nullity. Okay. So annulment, uh, is, as I said, it's a misnomer. We shouldn't use it, but it's, it's become used. But we, just so we know that it's, it is not what it's, what that word means. It is not our, our nullifying a marriage. Okay. It's okay. a declaration of nullity. If there's an affirmative decision by the court, it's a declaration of nullity, a finding that the marriage was invalid from the beginning. It's simply a finding. You know, we can't make it invalid. We can't declare it in uh, invalid in, in that sense. All right. We simply discover it okay? because God is the one who makes a marriage valid or not. Okay. okay? Right. Thank you. So, um, okay. Anyway, so we got off in that whole. <laughs> Sidetrack, but it's important for you to know all that stuff. And I hope we'll get to it. I hope we'll have time at the end, but if not, we've covered it to some extent now. But just to know where the, the, the marriage can be celebrated, right? It's a, uh, for a sacramental marriage, Catholic marrying another baptized person, whether Catholic or baptized non-Catholic, it must be in a parish church or in another church or oratory. Right? If you have permission, you need permission for it to go elsewhere, right? So um, if it's going to be another church other than the parish church, you need permission of the pastor of the, of the parish for the reasons that we, we already mentioned, right? Um, it could happen in certain dioceses. Number two, the local ordinary could permit, we're talking about a Catholic ceremony, could permit a Catholic wedding to take place in another suitable place, but that's rare. Um, and um, then when you have a marriage, uh, a non-sacramental marriage, marriage between a Catholic party and a non-baptized party that can be celebrated in a church or in another suitable place. Um, in our, but we're talking, again, we're talking about a Catholic ceremony. Um, so the law, it's the, the universal law says that it, it can be, it can be celebrated in a church or in another suitable place. But in fact, um, you do, you do what your diocese tells you to do, you know? And so check on that. If you're, if you're asked to do say a Catholic ceremony, uh, but in a non, non-Catholic setting, 
uh, and the only thing I could think of was a Catholic Jewish uh, wedding, uh, check with your with the diocese to see if you're allowed to do that. Okay. All right? Okay. Um, and 1119, outside the case of necessity, rites prescribed in the liturgical books approved by the church or received by legitimate customs are to be observed in the celebration of the marriage, okay? So up till now, we've been talking about the canonical form of marriage. It's, uh, it's, it's, there's a distinction between the canonical form of marriage and the liturgical form of marriage, right? So canonical form of marriage means, you know, you got the priest, check, you got the two witnesses, check, you have it in a suitable place, check, okay, you're, you're good to go. Um, that's separate from the liturgical form, okay? Uh, usually they're the same thing, but you could have a situation where you have a, 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 you know, a priest, a deacon, uh, two witnesses, and so forth, some reason you're not using the books you know um uh, i talked about my own sister's deathbed wedding that would be an obvious example you know um, um so uh, it, it was it was canonical form but it was not liturgical form <laughs> so but normally you were required to observe the liturgical forms it says outside the case of necessity again my own sister right outside the case of necessity uh the rites prescribed in the liturgical books right um to be observed the celebrations of marriage okay all right um but that is for laicity as opposed to validity right the canonical form is required for validity the liturgical um form is required for laicity and you know that because canon 1119 does not mention validity it just says this is to be done which means it's for laicity okay um Canon 120, uh, 1120, uh, the Conference of Bishops can produce uh, its own right of marriage, which indeed it has, right? So there can be local adaptations and so forth. But I call your attention to the second part of Canon 1120. Nevertheless, the law remains in effect that the person who assists at the marriage is present, asks for the manifestation of consent of the contracted parties, and receives it. That's the person who assists at the marriage. That would be you as the presiding deacon, right? Um, you, you are present at the marriage, you're the one who receives, um, uh, who, who asks for the manifestation of consent and you receive the vows, right? Okay? So that, that always remains, that, that's, that's very, very important, that's underscored all over the place in canon law. Um, <clears throat> then afterwards, and this involves the salus animarum as much as anything else, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's important to protect people's rights, for God's sake, please be sure you record everything properly, because this is something that will follow the, the, the parties for the rest of their lives. Right? So you have to get everything properly recorded in the proper places. And it's sometimes difficult to figure out what the, where the proper place is. So we'll take a look at Canon 1121. Notice it's a long canon. Um, where, where you register the marriage. We're not talking about the civil marriage. That's something else. Um, in, um, in the United States, in, in most states, I think maybe every state, um, the, uh, the, the cleric or the, the priest, deacon, uh, minister of another congregation, another denomination, whatever, uh, it also uh, acts for the state. So that's kind of a problem. We have to follow the civil laws as well. Um, so that uh, you, you have to sign the wedding license from City Hall and that, that kind of thing. You have to make sure it's sent back as part of your job. Um, it's, it's not in every country, but it's in our country. So just be, sh be sure you do that as well, okay? Um, but for our own uh, registration, 
let's go through Canon 1121. After marriage has been celebrated, the pastor place of the celebration where the person takes his place, even if neither assisted at the marriage, is to note as soon as possible in the marriage register the names of the spouses, the person who assisted, meaning the person who took the vows, right, and the witnesses and the place and date of the celebration of the marriage according to the method prescribed by the Conference of Bishops or the Diocesan Bishops. So, so far, so good. In every parish, you have the marriage register. And please, guys, you're involved in parishes, ask the pastor to show you the marriage register. Tell him, the Canon Law Professor said, you are to, as part of your assignment, look at the parish marriage register so you're familiar with it, so you're not going to be thrown by this when you do your first wedding, okay? Ask him if he has the time to show you how to record weddings, you know. I don't know how cooperative your pastors are, but if you can kind of tail him for a wedding, even, you know, and then watch what he does, you know, maybe even sit in on meetings that he has with the parties and so forth, but at least to have him show you the material that he's gathered, the documents he's gathered and so forth, the steps he's followed, and then to show how he records it. It's very important, okay? It's a bit complicated to record it. You don't have to worry about the particularities of Canon 1121 number one because the form itself will show you what you have to put there, right? So, you know, the names, where they were baptized, your name, witnesses, place of day of celebration and so forth. In Canon 1116, we're not going to worry about Canon 1116 now. That's the situation where you have the extraordinary form. It's contracted in front of witnesses only, but there's a deacon there, say, who doesn't have faculties, but he's asked to be present. He's supposed to inform the local pastor about the marriage, but don't worry about that. If that happens, obviously alarm bells will go off. You have to get in touch with people and they'll show you what to do, okay? So that's the norm. A wedding in your parish, you record it in the parish, right? If a wedding takes place, a Catholic form in that parish, you record it in the parish, okay? But if you have a dispensation for canonical form, this is where it gets complicated. You get a dispensation for canonical form, where are you going to record it? So let's go through this. Number three, for marriage contracted with a dispensation from canonical form, the local ordinary who granted the dispensation is to take care that the dispensation and celebration are inscribed in the marriage registers of both the curia and the proper parish of the Catholic party whose pastor conducted the investigation about the free status. We'll explain this. The Catholic spouse is bound to notify as soon as possible the same ordinary and pastor about the marriage celebrated and also the place of the celebration in the public form observed. So what happens is you will get a rescript, basically. It's a decree granting a dispensation from form, right? So if you're doing a wedding with a dispensation from form, you'll get this form, this dispensation, this decree back from the chancery office. And then it will have on the back, usually, it will have something for you to fill out with the names of the parties and the place and the date of the actual wedding. And then you send that back to the chancery office, okay? 
So it's recorded at the Chancery Office. So there's a dispensation from form granted by the Chancery Office. Then you send it back to them with the information on where the wedding actually took place so they can record it in their own books at the Curia for the diocese. So it's important to return that form when there's a dispensation from form. In addition to that, you have to record the wedding as you would any other wedding, but where do you record it? So it tells you. So both the Curia, I just explained that, right, and the proper parish of the Catholic party whose pastor conducted the investigation about the free status. So somebody comes to your parish, wants to get married in Tucson, you know, wants you to do the paperwork and you work it out with the pastor in Tucson. You're going to do all the paperwork, instruct them and so on and so forth. No, it's not a pastor in Tucson. They have a dispensation from form to get married and say they're going to get married in Jackson Hole. They have a dispensation from form. But you do all the preparations, right? So when the wedding is actually done, it's recorded in your parish, even though it took place in Wyoming. It's recorded in your parish. It's recorded in the parish of basically the priest who did all the preparations. What it envisioned, what it really originally envisioned was it's done in the parish of the, that at least one of the parties belongs to, you know, because they picture, you know, a young girl growing up in this parish and now her pastor is helping her to get ready for a wedding to a non-Catholic somewhere else, you know, but he records it in his parish. And that makes sense because she's from that parish and it's convenient. But nowadays, you know, somebody knows you, lives nearby but not in your parish. They ask you to do all the preparations and so forth for this wedding that's going to take place in a non-Catholic ceremony with a dispensation from form. So it's recorded in your parish. So the big difference is when you think about it, when a wedding takes place according to the Catholic form, Catholic form of marriage, it's recorded right where it happened. So in that parish. Okay. So a Catholic wedding, Catholic form is recorded right in the parish where it happened. If there's a dispensation from form and it's not a Catholic form, it's not necessarily recorded in the parish close to where it happened. It's recorded in your parish if you're the one who prepared them for the wedding. Okay. So they could be a thousand miles apart. Okay. But it's recorded in the parish of the priest, the deacon who prepared them for the wedding. You see the difference? So for instance, my nephew's wedding, he lived in a parish that was about, I don't know, five or 10 miles from where the wedding actually took place. Coincidentally, there was a Catholic parish right across the street. I was going crazy. There's a Catholic parish right across the street from this, I think, what was the name of it? Addison Hall or something. Addison something. Where they got married. So they're married in this hall. There's a Catholic church across the street. They're married in a Jewish ceremony in this hall within this parish, obviously, the church is across the street. When it was recorded, it was not recorded there. It was recorded in his own parish because we're just a few miles away because we figured, okay, we'll say the priest from that parish is the one who would be designated as the one who prepared them. Okay. So it was not recorded in the parish where the wedding took place because it was a non-Catholic ceremony. So then you don't pay attention to the geography anymore. You look at the 
person and who's the person who prepared them. So in this case, it was his local parish priest, so it went back to his, his own parish. Is that kind of clear? <laughs> right? This is something that's going to happen all the time. All the time. So, again, the basic difference is Catholic wedding is recorded where it happened. Okay? Where it happened. Even Catholic if, wedding takes place in this parish. is recorded in this parish. Even if they're not a member of that parish? Right, because you got permission from the local, uh, from, from the, the person's own pastor. Okay. 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 So Catholic wedding... Uh, is recorded if it's a Catholic ceremony, it's recorded in that parish where it happened. Okay, so remember that right there. Okay, if it's a Catholic wedding, it's not a Catholic wedding, it's if it's a, a wedding with a disparity of uh, a dispensation, sorry, a dispensation from form, a dispensation from form it is not necessarily recorded in the local parish, it's recorded in the parish of the person, the cleric who helped them uh, prepare for the wedding. Okay. So it could be a different place completely geographically. Okay. So know that difference because you're going to be dealing with this all the time. Right? Um, yeah, okay. And that's basically that canon, actually. Um, let's just, uh, if you don't mind, let's just finish this section before we go to our break. Okay. Uh, canon 1122. These are all very, very important. You've got to know this stuff, okay? Because you're going to be expected to do this, right? Um, and it's very important for the people, uh, the people's rights. They, they need to, to know that, you know, where where they where the wedding was, where they get information, and so on and so forth. Canon uh, eleven twenty two: the contracted marriage is to be noted also in the baptismal registers in which the baptism of the spouses has been recorded. If the spouse did not contract marriage in the parish in which the person was baptized, the pastor of the place of the celebration is to send notice of the marriage which is entered into as soon as possible to the pastor of the place of the conferral of baptism. So, the person is baptized. This is why the place of baptism is so important, because the rest of the person's sacramental life is going to, is going to refer back to that um, place of baptism. So when a person gets, uh, gets married, it's recorded, as I said, in, in the uh, marriage register of the parish, if it's a Catholic uh, ceremony, or the the, mar the uh, marriage uh, register of the, of the place where the person who prepared them is, wherever that is, right? At the same time, very, 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 very important, very, very important, um, you send a notice to the uh, place of baptism. And in uh, every parish I've been in, there are these little forms, very convenient, just to, to, they're, you know, this big. They put them in a little envelope with the basic information. There's a tear-off sheet at the bottom so that the, the uh, person in the parish of baptism can send it back to you. You send them the information about the, the, the wedding so they can record it in the baptismal register. And then they send the, the, the bottom part of that form back to you so you can check that off that the, um, the, the wedding has been recorded in the baptismal register. Very, very important. Why? What's the big deal about recording a, a, a wedding in a baptismal register? Well, exactly, because when somebody goes uh, comes to you to get married, one of the first things you ask them for is a recent baptismal certificate, not the one they had from when they were a kid, a recent one issued recently by the parish of baptism, because they will make notations. Anything that's been added, they will note, and if there's a previous marriage, there it is. Okay, so that's 
the basic reason I'm important. So be sure those two recordings are made. In addition to that, of course, there's a wedding license involved, and you'll need to send that back to City Hall. There'll be instructions on how to do that, and you have to do it right away or you can go to jail. So we'll get fined heavily. They're really cracked down on that, so be sure you do that. Now you can do some of these things, I think, online, I believe. But the way I've always done it, because I haven't done that many weddings since I started getting into special work and so forth, but the normal way you do it is you ask the couple to bring the wedding license to the rehearsal. And what I did, what I always do with a wedding, is I hang on to it. I said, I'll take care of this. Don't worry about it. I'm going to hang on to it, because they're going to forget it. Somebody's going to forget it on the day of the wedding. So they have this beautiful ceremony, and now you've got to sign the license. Oh, the license. Oh, I left it in the drawer. So you get it. Make sure you have it before you do the wedding. Make sure you have the license in your hot little hand. And what I do, because I'm a canonist, I want to do it right after the wedding. And I've had photographers trail me as I did this. I get the form, and I get a pen, and everybody's in the back of the church doing their thing and so forth. And I come up to the bride and the groom and say, okay, we've got to sign the register. So they do it there. And sometimes the photographer's taking pictures and so forth, whatever. But I get them after the ceremony, and you've got to get them quickly, because they're going to run off and go to a reception. But I do it after the ceremony. Some priests and deacons do it before the ceremony. You're taking a chance. It's illegal. It's illegal, because you have people testifying to something that hasn't happened. You're falsifying documents. You're dating them the next day, whatever it is. So you're committing a crime. I don't think it's a big deal, but I know people do this. But it's still a crime, as far as I can tell. So I'm just telling you, what you should do is wait until after the thing has happened, and then get witnesses who actually are witnesses to the fact that it happened. And so you're going to need the bride and the groom and two witnesses to sign it. Typically, they print and they sign their names. And you put the dates. And you yourself do the same thing, and then you've got to get it mailed off promptly, or you're in trouble. And finally, Canon 1123, whenever a marriage is either convalidated in the external forum, declared null, or legitimately dissolved other than by death, passed through the place of the celebration, the marriage must be informed so that a notation is properly made of the marriage and baptismal registers. So again, well, convalidation, yeah, we'll get into convalidation later. Basically, you do the same thing for a convalidation as you do for a regular wedding anyway. But if a marriage is declared null, as we've been discussing by a tribunal, a record of that, a notice of that will be sent to the parish where the wedding took place. So you note it in the wedding register that this marriage has now been declared null. And you have to abbreviate it, DEC period, NUL period, DOIC period, 
uh, Brooklyn, you know, and the, the date and the uh, and the, the protocol number you would you would put you would put in there. But uh, if that happens, uh, ask somebody to show you how to do it. You know? But uh, but you have to you do have to record that uh, in the marriage register. Um, so if marriage is declared null. If it's legitimately dissolved by death, we haven't discussed this because it's too confusing at this point, but the, the church cannot nullify a marriage, but there's certain place, uh, situations where the, marriage, the church can actually, by divine law, can actually dissolve a marriage. Uh, there's something called the Pauline privilege, St. Paul speaks about it. A couple of other situations where a, a, the church can actually dissolve a marriage. Right. We're not talking about a declaration of marriage, we're talking about a dissolution of marriage. We'll get to that later, but um, that also is to be recorded in the, in the marriage uh, register. Okay, so um, declaration of nullity, dissolution of marriage, they are to be recorded in the marriage uh, register. Okay, um, and, and the baptismal register as well, for that matter. Okay, all right, <laughs> I think this is enough for now. Let's take, can we take about how about 20 up? Can we get back together about 20 up? <laughs> Okay? All right. Sorry about the delay. It happens. That's life, right? There you go. Okay. All right. Well, we're rolling along. I'm pleased with the progress we're making out. I hope you guys are getting it. I know it's a lot to cover. And, you know, obviously my concern here is, you know, not so much with your grades, but just so you're ready to do this, you know, when you get when you get ordained. Um, oops, this is wrong. Okay. Um, my, my green tabs are getting all messed up here. Okay, this goes here. Okay, so we went through that pretty quickly about recording things, but I, I hope it's clear, right? Um, any questions about recording marriages? Because <clears throat> for the exam, I'm going to give you the, uh, the final exam next week, and you'll have a week to do it. But um, I'll, I'll ask you to give me every step of the process, every canonical step, every pastoral step, everything that you will do. Okay, It's a very practical exercise. Okay, here's a couple who comes to you to get married. What are you going to do? What are you going to talk about? What, what documents do you need? You know, But what issues come up? Um, what possible actions are you going to take? Um, can you refuse the wedding? You might need to do that. You know, um, Do you need to get a declaration of nullity or something else, all this kind of stuff, right? Um, but at the end, don't forget to say where you're going to record it, okay? Sometimes I've had um, uh, exams like this in the past, and, and a few guys forgot to say, oh, yeah, it's recorded, by the way, in the local parish, whatever it is. All right. Okay, so um, we go on to... Yes. Father, I thought we discussed last time we were going to get the exam on the 20th and then return it within a week after that. No, we, we, we get it next week to uh, be returned on the 20th, because next week is exam week. 
So we're going to have a class next week, uh, but then I'll, I'll give you the exam at the same time that we we'll wait to get it back. You don't want to get an exam on the 20th and return it a week later. That's into 20. Are you nuts? No. <laughs> Are you Catholic? That's into 20. <laughs> you want it out of the way by the 20th. You know? And I want it out of the way by the 20th. We have, we have a big uh, celebration coming up here. Father? Yeah. I just have one question about that 1123 that we just looked at. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. <coughs> if we got that notification at the parish about the legitimate dissolution of the right, a declaration of nullity, we have the register, so we record it there. But if those baptisms or elsewhere, is the tribunal or the chancery notifying them or do we also notify the baptist for no the the, the the tribunal will take care of all that they're going to notify everybody who needs to be notified so they'll they'll typically notify both the the the, the parish where the wedding took place or where the, where the wedding is registered and the parish of baptism they'll, they'll you just you just do what they say yeah, that's exactly what you said what's all the difference yeah is there anywhere recorded where they they go through uh pre-cana is that written down? Um, well, that's part of the, the preparation process, and you'll have um, different parishes do it different ways. You know, there are all sorts of forms you can check off things like the and the other thing. Um, uh, there's nothing official about that. You know, that's that's not an official record that you have to to have. But most parishes have them. You'll, you'll see. Uh, ask them, really ask your pastors to show you all this stuff, you know, before you get ordained so, so you know what you're getting into. Typically, um, parishes will have, uh, there's a big envelope that you have, uh, and one side of it has a checklist, you know, the names, the, you know, the, uh, you know, as you said, pre-cana, baptismal certificates, uh, re rehearsal scheduled, uh, you know, all these, all these different things that I'll have on there for you to, uh, to check off. So they're, they're very uh, convenient. But there are other forms around as well that, that, that uh, they can probably see. Yeah. But there's no official record you need. The only official record you need is, is, what, it, is what it tells you right here. But you follow, you know, you follow the, 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 the method of, of uh, recording that is, uh, is set by the bishop's conference. And you'll, you'll see, you have the standard marriage register so have your pastor show you you know uh the index for these things for instance have them show you how to do the index you uh record both last names in the index so say john jones is marrying is marrying mary smith right so it would be recorded it would be recorded under j and under s in the index right Jones Smith, and then the other one would be Smith Jones, and you, you would have the, the the number and the page uh, that you, you refer to. So, um, so be sure you, uh, that he showed you how to do that, all of that stuff. Okay. Um, okay. So we move on to mixed marriages. There's a difference now between disparity of cult and a mixed marriage. Okay. Um, Matrimonia mixta. Uh, I remember I took a whole course in matrimonia mixta uh, when I was in Rome. Um, a mixed marriage is a marriage between a Catholic and a baptized non-Catholic. Okay? Baptized non-Catholic, that's the difference. So you have disparity of cults on the one hand, which is an impediment, it's invalid, so you need a dispensation. Right? Disparity of cult is a Catholic marrying an unbaptized person 
it's invalid, it's an impediment, so you need a dispensation. Matrimonia mixta, mixed marriage, is a Catholic marrying a baptized non-Catholic. So it's a sacramental marriage, but it's mixed because it's Catholic and a baptized non-Catholic. Baptized, not Catholic. That's the difference. As I said, for prosperity of cult, you need a dispensation. You need a dispensation. It's invalid. It's an ecclesiastical law that says it's invalid. For matrimonia mixta, for a Catholic marrying a baptized non-Catholic, it is illicit, but it's not invalid. So you need permission. You don't need a dispensation. You need just permission for laicity. If you don't get permission, you've been very bad, but it's still valid. So that's mixed marriage. So we have these six canons on this. Beginning with canon 1124. Is there laicity, but that's also for validity? No, laicity and validity are two separate things. So if a Catholic marries a baptized non-Catholic, it gets permission for laicity, it's still not considered valid? You're getting it all mixed up. No. First of all, it's laicity, not lucidity. So you know what I mean by laicity? The opposite of illicit. Legal. Yeah, it's legal. Really? Right? It's legal as opposed to validity. When a priest is saying mass, if he doesn't begin with the sign of the cross, it's illicit. He's broken the law. If he uses Coke and potato chips instead of bread and wine, it's invalid. Okay? It doesn't happen. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb, so the sacrament doesn't happen. You see the difference? Okay? So laicity is legality, as you said. Okay? I just don't understand. You would ask for permission, so it would be legal, but it wouldn't be valid. No, validity is not the issue here at all. Okay? So very often, again, the situation I just posed, very often a situation will come up where somebody will say that's illicit, but then the majority will come back, but was it invalid? No, it's valid, but it's illicit. Okay, so it's all right. It's not all right. It's bad, but it's not invalid. Right? See the difference? If something is illicit, it still happens. All right? If I say mass without wearing vestments, but I say all the prayers and everything, it's valid. It's illicit, but it's valid. All right? Understand the difference? You're saying that if you ask permission, it would be illegal, but not valid. All right. Why would you ask permission? I don't understand that. It's illicit. We're talking about now about a Catholic marrying a baptized non-Catholic, right? Mixed marriage. It's illicit. It's illegal. You may not do it. You're forbidden to do it. It's illegal. It's illegal. Okay? But it's still valid. 
if you do it, it it's a valid marriage. You've been very bad. You're gonna you're, you'll probably lose your faculties to do this again, but uh, but it's um, but but it, it, it's valid, but it's illicit. I I wasn't thinking the way that you you're saying you're saying this as opposed to the minister as opposed to the spouses. Hmm? If if I'm a Catholic and I marry a non-Catholic, it's a non-valid marriage. That's invalid. Right. Right. That's the spirit of cult. Right. But if I ask permission, then it's considered. It's still invalid. <laughs> but it's but it's illicit. It's also illicit, but it's invalid. That's the main thing. Well, why would I ask permission then? You wouldn't. You get a dispensation. Uh, and then, if you get this, then it's valid. With the yeah, yeah. You get a dispensation. Yeah. Okay. That, that's what what is a dispensation? Relaxation of the law. It's a relaxation of the law in an individual case. It's a relaxation of the law itself. Right? Um, so. Um, Do they have a denied dispensation? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's a relaxation of the law itself. But permission is just permission. You know? You need, you need permission. Right, so difference between, again, difference between Lusady and validity. Lusady means it's valid, but it's illegal. Uh, invalid means it's invalid. It doesn't, it didn't happen. Okay. So, it, you know, for, for a wedding, yeah, I mean, if you, well, just what we're talking about, if, if, a, um, if, a, if a couple, uh, if, if a Catholic is marrying a bat, an unbaptized person, that is invalid. It's invalid. Okay. If a Catholic is marrying um, a baptized non-Catholic, it is valid, but it is illicit. You've broken the law, but it's still valid. Okay. So, do you have a question? I don't want you throwing me out the window. <laughs> I want to finish. Okay, well, one more time. One yeah, more no, no, it's important. very important. Yeah. But let, let me finish. Catholic, a baptized Catholic, Marries a wishes to baptize, uh, marry a baptized non-Catholic. Right. It is invalid. It is not invalid. It's illicit. <laughs> it's illicit. It's illicit. If a Catholic marries a non-baptized non-Catholic. I mean, a non-baptized person, it's invalid. It's invalid. Okay, good. Okay. So, um, you, there, there's, I think in most dioceses, you, you actually use the same form to get either dispensation or permission, depending on what is required. Um, so, you, um, so, you have disparity of cult. Yeah. Can you see this? <coughs> you see this? Okay. It's invalid. So you need associate, right? You need a dispensation. Mixed marriage 
Catholic marrying a baptized non-Catholic. It's illicit. It's illegal. You need permission. Okay, is that kind of clear? Okay. Now, um, you'll find when you are uh, sending in the form for permission, unless they've changed it, um, they, they keep changing these forms. But if you um, if you're doing a mixed marriage, Catholic, baptized, non-Catholic, you're sending in a form asking for permission. Uh, what you're asking for, and uh, the form will typically say, we're asking for uh, permission um, for a mixed marriage or a dispensation from disparity of cult on count of if necessary, for, uh, as the case may require it. Okay? So you cover all your bases. If you're not 100% sure that the, um, uh, the, 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 the baptism of the baptized non-Catholic is valid. So you, you're asking, uh, very often you're asking for permission uh, for a mixed marriage, but dispensation for the spirit is called just in case. Are we, are we kind of getting this? Very important to, to get the difference, okay? Mixed, mixed marriage is sacramental, okay? It's between a Catholic and a baptized non-Catholic. And it's illicit, but it's valid. Father, could I just um, make, make a point, or just a, a, a point of order? It really helps me when you do what you just did by putting what you did up on the board. Okay. So really clear, A, B, C, one, two, three, and defining okay. it. Well, Thank that's you. Good. Yeah, but, great. Okay. Nice. Um, all right. I guess it's all about you. Okay, so this section is on, so you notice how the, the, cat, the code is, is organized. It kind of dismisses disparity of cult. It lists it among the impediments. You, know? you can't do it. It's invalid. You know, almost, not quite, but almost saying forget about it. It's invalid. Well, you need a dispensation, you know. Uh, but mixed marriage, sacramental marriage between a Catholic and a baptized non-Catholic, has a whole little section. Okay? So th this is something that church is not frowning upon the way it does um, uh, disparity of cults. Okay. So... Um, all right, so Canon 1124, uh, again, um, without express permission of the competent authority, a marriage is prohibited between two baptized persons of whom one is baptized in the Catholic Church, received into it after baptism, and is not defective from by a formal act. Don't worry about that. And the other of whom is enrolled in a church or ecclesial community, not in full communion with the Catholic Church. So all you need to know from that is a marriage is prohibited between two baptized persons. One is baptized Catholic, uh, baptized in the church received into it after baptism, and the other is baptized but in a, a church or ecclesiastical ecclesial community that is not in full communion with the Catholic Church, non-Catholics. Okay? That's mixed marriage. Okay? Father, what would, the, what would the reasoning be for getting 
permission? I mean, what would the permission say and why would the permission be granted? Well, interesting that you, you, um, you asked that. And um, let's look at the next canon uh, for a possible hint at elucidating. Okay. Um, canon 1125, conditions for granting permission for mixed marriage. Why would you do this? Right. Um, canon 1125, the local ordinary can grant a permission of this kind if there is a just and reasonable cause. He is not to grant it, however. He is not to grant it unless the following conditions have been fulfilled. Look how careful it is. And by the way, this applies also to um, disparity of cult. Basically, this applies to a Catholic marrying a non-Catholic, but it's in this section on mixed marriages in a particular way. So he is not to grant it unless the following conditions have been fulfilled. One, the Catholic party is to declare that he or she is prepared to remove dangers of defending faith and is to make a sincere promise to do all in his or her power so that all offspring are baptized and brought up in the Catholic Church. Two, the other party is to be informed at an appropriate time about the promises which the Catholic party is to make in such a way that it's certain that he or she is truly aware of the promise and obligation of the Catholic party. And three, both parties are to be instructed about the purposes and essential properties of marriage with neither of the contracting parties is to exclude. So you have to remember now, um, Pope Benedict, um, pointed this out is, is, is something always to bear in mind because um, we can get so bogged down with the paperwork and making sure we fulfill all the canons which is very very important but we have to remember that first of all what we're dealing with is the suprema lex the salvation of souls so a catholic and a non-catholic come to you and they want to get they want to get married well there's a problem right because uh, this is the most intimate relationship that one could have with another human being in this life. And uh, one's life, if one is a Catholic, should be totally centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. How is that going to work? You know, So you, this is a pastoral issue that you have to work out with a, with a couple. You can't just uh, kind of allow it to happen, but you have to uh, and just fill in the forms. You have to discuss it with them, right? And Pope Benedict... Um, said, uh, particularly in, in an address he gave to the Roman Rota, that um, all of these procedures that were required to follow to prepare couples for marriages are pastoral, above all, they are, they are pastoral um, uh, opportunities, right? You don't just fill out the PMI, which we will get to, I hope, you know, um, I've already mentioned in a certain, certain way. Um, you don't just, uh, uh, you don't just apply for permission for a mixed marriage but you discuss it with you know uh, there's a reason why the church is requiring you to do this there's a reason why uh this this is an ecclesiastical law it's not a divine law but there's a reason why it's an ecclesiastical law and because it's it's there's a danger to the faith of the, the catholic party that's why canon 1125 uh says uh the local ordinary is not to grant this permission He's not to grant the permission unless, unless the following conditions have been fulfilled. What's the first condition the church is concerned about? It says the Catholic party is declared that he or she is prepared to remove dangers of defecting from the faith. That's the, that's the biggest danger that uh, the church is concerned about. And it's to make a sincere promise to do all in his or her power so that all offspring are baptized and brought up in the Catholic church, right? So we'll just go through the, uh, 
the skeleton of this, and we'll fill it out in a little bit. So the Catholic Party has to make that double declaration that they're going to remove dangers of defecting from the faith, and then they have to make a sincere promise that they're going to see that the children are baptized and brought up in the Catholic Church. We'll get to that in a second. The other party is to be informed about this. Notice the other party does not have to sign this, but the other party is to be informed about this. You will have to sign the request for permission yourself saying that the non-Catholic Party has been informed about this. So the non-Catholic Party has to be informed about the promises. You have to testify to that fact, right? And the non-Catholic Party has to be made aware of the fact. It's in such a way that it is certain that he or she is truly aware of the promise and obligation of the Catholic Party. So you can't play games here. Just fill in this form. No, the Catholic Party has been told. The Catholic Party is required to do X, Y, and Z, right? And you know about this now, okay? Then, of course, both parties would be instructed about the purposes and essential properties of marriage, which either of the contracted parties is to exclude. Okay, so what the normal preparation for marriage still holds, whether the Catholic is marrying another Catholic or non-Catholic, the normal marriage preparation still holds. And, of course, the three bona, the three goods of marriage, and all the rest, right? So the notice number one, the Catholic Party, the law is concerned about dangers of defecting from the faith. That's the issue. And you've got to talk about this with them. This is not easy, all right? Canon law, you know, I know you're worried about exams and things, but canon law is a lot easier than what you'll be doing once you're ordained. Because you've got to take all this, and now you've got to minister to these people in a pastoral way, and we're talking about their eternal salvation. You know, suppose the Catholic Party is marrying a baptized non-Catholic, say a baptized, I don't know, whatever, Episcopalian, say. And then they start going to each other's churches and so forth, and the Catholic Party begins to like the music, which often happens. The music and even the way the liturgy is conducted in the Episcopal Church is so much higher quality than, you know, some of the bozos that we have in the Catholic Church and so on and so forth. And it kind of likes, you know, the teachings of the Episcopal Church. You know, well, they're all in favor of gay marriages, and they're, you know, and Irish is great. Pardon? Married priests. They've got priests and priestesses. They've got married priests and all this. Say, you know, this isn't so bad, so why don't we do, you know, anything could happen, right? So that's why the Church is so concerned about this, right? And you've got to discuss this with them, you know, showing respect to the non-Catholic Party. You've got to discuss the whole thing with them and ask them to consider, practically speaking, what are you going to do? The Catholic Party is required to go to Mass every Sunday. Are you, the non-Catholic Party, okay with that? Well, I'm not okay. We're going to go to the Catholic Church one week, we'll go to the non-Catholic Church another week. But the Catholic is required to go to Mass every Sunday. You know, how are you going to deal with things like that? You know, I have no, you know, easy answers to this. Try to make a sales pitch for them to become Catholic. Oh, that's good. That's what happened with my father and my mother. Really? Yeah. My father was a Catholic. He was a convert. And my mother was, as a matter of fact, was a Lutheran. She converted. She was brought up as nothing and had become a Lutheran. And they got married, and then there was this issue. It took several years. I was already born. 
So it's like, and I was aware of what was happening. So I think it was like five years old at this point. So uh, uh, then eventually my mother became a Catholic. So I was, then I was, I, I might have mentioned this to you. I was, I was then conditionally baptized in the Lutheran Church. You wouldn't do that uh, in the Catholic Church. You wouldn't do that anymore because my Lutheran baptism was, was valid, you know. But um, anyway, so um, yeah. So these are important things to discuss. That the Catholic Party, so dangers are defecting from the faith. And then the Catholic Party is to make a sincere promise. Notice how carefully this is worded. Catholic Party is to make a sincere promise to do all in his or her power so that all offspring are baptized and brought up in the Catholic Church. Okay. It doesn't guarantee that the children will be raised in the Catholic Church. He might even know, or she might even know, in advance of the marriage, it's not too possible that this will happen. I'll do all I can, but it doesn't look too hopeful. You know, My own um, nephew again, you know, um, He's, he's, uh, they're living down in Florida where her family is a big presence, you know, and they're making all sorts of demands and so forth. Um, so he's doing what he can to see the child is raised Catholic, but she won't allow it, you know. So um, they once brought the, the child up to, uh, to visit us, um, um, my, um, his, his mother, my sister in, in New Jersey, and she asked me, to do like a blessing. She wanted like some kind of, like an instant automatic, some kind of a ceremony she wanted me to do. So I both got a cup of water and she, she yelled at me. She said, don't you dare. Oh, gee, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so I, you know, it's a little prayer thing, you know, but, uh, but no baptism, no baptism, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, so, you know, they're playing games and they're going to allow the kid to decide for himself when he's had precisely no education at all and kind of faith. Gets to be an adult and just, you know, you know how these things work. But anyway, but that's a problem, right? And this is going on, as we know, in all our families, right? It's going on all the time. You're going to deal with this, you know? Um, but the Catholic Party um, doesn't have to guarantee, this is my point, the Catholic Party does not have to guarantee that the children will be raised Catholic, but the Catholic Party does have to. Uh, say that he or she will do all that they can to see that the child is raised Catholic, if that's possible. Uh, so they have to say at least that. Um, uh, and then the, the non-Catholic party has to be informed of that, you know. And, you know, I had this discussion with the two of them, you know, and she was yesing me to death, you know. So this goes on also, you know. Oh, you know, we're going to work it out. It's going to be great. But, yeah, sure. So... <laughs> All right. So, but notice, and this comes up all the time. I might ask on an exam. Well, I'm not going to give you an objective exam, but sometimes I've, I've asked <clears throat> on an exam: is the is the non-Catholic party required to sign an agreement that the child, the children, will be raised Catholic? I've had guys, uh, inevitably, guys say yes. Catholic non-Catholic party is required to sign. The, the non-Catholic party doesn't sign a blooming thing. No, um, but the non-Catholic party has to be has to be informed. Catholic Party has to sign, so it's it's a it's difficult, and you have to, you have to deal with this in a pastoral way. So I said the law is very simple, you know it's easy to learn the law, but it's really hard to apply this uh, in a pastoral way. And that's your job. You're gonna make the sales pitch. <laughs> Wish you all the best. Right? <laughs> okay, let's go. So we're clear on that. Can eleven twenty five. All right. Um, can eleven twenty six. Uh, 
how are these promises made? Uh, the Episcopal Conference. That's all you, all you need to know about that. So don't worry about Ken 1126. Um, uh, Ken 1127, the prescripts of Ken 1108 are to be observed for the form to be used in a mixed, in a mixed marriage. Okay, so this applies to mixed marriage, obviously. Um, now, let's get this situated. So this is uh, Ken 1108 form to be used in a mixed marriage. Remember Ken 1108, right? Which is a Catholic for validity must be married in a Catholic ceremony. Priest and two witnesses, right? Or deacon and two witnesses, whatever it is, right? For validity, right? Ken 1108. Remember that? Okay, that's required for validity. The form is required for validity. However, <laughs> there was, it's an ecclesiastical law, and there is one exception. Okay, and the exception is when a Catholic is marrying um, uh, a non-Catholic of an Eastern Rite, an Eastern Orthodox. Then Canon 1108 is not for validity, but only for the So, Canon 1127, the prescripts of Canon 1108 are to be observed for the form to be used in a mixed marriage. Nevertheless, if a Catholic party contracts marriage with a non-Catholic party of an Eastern Rite, Catholic, uh, the canonical form of the celebration must be observed for the laity only. And to make it more complicated, the validity, however, <clears throat> uh, for validity, however, the presence of a sacred minister is required and the other requirements of law to be observed. So we're talking about a Catholic marrying, not, a, not a, um, an Eastern Rite Catholic, but a Catholic marrying um, an Eastern Orthodox. Okay. Canon 1108 no longer applies for validity. It applies for every other situation, but now just for the Orthodox. We make all sorts of exceptions for the Orthodox because we want them to come home to Rome. That's basically why, right? So we make this exception for the Orthodox. So Catholic marrying um, an Orthodox in an Orthodox ceremony without permission, it's, viol it's a violation of Canon 1108, but it's not invalid. It's only for Lysaity. Okay, So for a Catholic to marry uh, an Eastern Orthodox in an Orthodox ceremony, you need permission. You don't need um, dispensation. Okay, That's the one exception to uh, Canon 1108 about form. Everything else uh, is required for validity. Form is required for validity, so you need a dispensation. In this case, you only need permission. It's only about Lysaity. Okay. Um, which means that, and bear this in mind, if a Catholic marries an Orthodox, um, it's it's valid. It might be illicit if you don't get permission, but it's it but it's valid. So if that breaks up, you can't use Canon 1108 as the basis for declaring the marriage null. Right. So if a Catholic marries anybody else. Um, not using the Catholic form and, and not getting dispensation. So Catholic, you know, marries anybody, even another Catholic, whatever, anybody. In City Hall, uh, you know, a, a non-Catholic religious ceremony of some kind, and does not get dispensation from form, it is invalid. Okay? And to prove that invalid, uh, there's a form in the rectory, you know, I told you how you do that, you, you get... Uh, you simply uh, get a recent copy of the baptismal certificate. You, you get you get the marriage certificate that shows this is non-Catholic minister. Uh, you look at the um, at the divorce decree and you send it all in. You're good to go. You know, <coughs> and it's and it's invalid. It's invalid, and you'll usually get uh, 
the declaration of nullity back by return mail. But for a Catholic marrying an Eastern Orthodox, no. That is a valid marriage. So you can't declare that marriage null on the basis of Canon 1108 because Canon 1108 wasn't violated in that sense. It's not for validity. So the form is not an issue there. So you might end up having to get a full-blown annulment or the full formal marriage process, marriage nullity process. All right. Totally confused now? Okay. Number two here, Canon 1127, number two. This is about the dispensation form that we've been discussing, right? If grave difficulties hinder the observance of canonical form, the local ordinary of the Catholic party has the right of dispensing from the form in individual cases after having consulted the ordinary of the place in which the marriage is celebrated with some public form of celebration for validity. It is for the conference of bishops to establish norms by which the aforementioned dispensation has been granted in a uniform manner. So it's speaking in general about dispensation from form. There's a reason why that ecclesiastical law is there, you know, and it's not to be taken lightly. You know, so many people, you know this very well, when they get married, the ceremony is sort of a joke or it's trivialized, you know, in so many ways. So the ceremony itself, the church recognizes the fact that these big moments in our lives are moments that make an impression on us forever. So the form is very, very important because the church wants to impress upon the couple getting married. This is serious business. This involves the rest of your lives. This involves your eternal salvation. So that's why we have the requirement of form. And normally you need a dispensation, except in the case of Catholic marrying and Orthodox, right? And it's only if there are grave difficulties. Look how seriously this is worded. If grave difficulties hinder the observance of canonical form, then the local ordinary of the Catholic party can dispense. By the way, it's the local ordinary of the Catholic party where the Catholic party lives. That's the ordinary who dispenses, right? Okay, so that's really all you need to know from that. But that's an important consideration. You don't want to ask for dispensation lightly. And then number three, again, dispensation from form. I already mentioned this. It is forbidden to have another religious celebration of the same marriage to give or renew matrimonial consent before or after the canonical celebration, according to norm number one. Likewise, there's not to be a religious celebration in which the Catholic who is assisting a non-Catholic minister together using their own rights ask for the consent of the parties. You can't mix and match here. It's either going to be a Methodist wedding or it's going to be a Catholic wedding. It's going to be a Muslim wedding or it's going to be a Catholic wedding. You can't mix and match. And you can't have one right after the other either. Sometimes people try that. Well, on Friday we'll have the Catholic wedding and Saturday we'll have the Methodist wedding or something like that. No, no, no. There's only one wedding. And that's to avoid the danger of indifferentism. It doesn't really matter. We just want to have family harmony. So we'll have a little of this, a little of that. 
you know, and, and, our, and then our life together will be the same. Well, we'll have low Catholicism, but uh, we'll have Catholicism light and uh, Methodist, Methodism light also will mix and match and it'll be all hunky dory. Yeah. So this was the basis upon which you said you wouldn't uh, convalidate that marriage with the, uh, with the cantor. Right, it's not kind of validated, but I wouldn't perform the marriage with can't. Right, yeah. Okay, so you, you can't do that. So it's either a Jewish wedding, so I said, this is a Jewish wedding. You do your thing, go. We'll say a little prayer at some point. I just stood there. Yeah. <laughs> I said, you know, I said a little prayer and, and gave a blessing. That was, that was it. Um, so, um, all right, so is that clear? All right, can't mix and match because one way to avoid the danger of indifferentism. Because the faith, the faith is serious business. You don't want to play games with your own faith. Bless you. Uh, notice again what it says about mixed marriages: pastoral care. Local ordinaries and other pastors and souls are to take care of the Catholic spouse and the children born of a mixed marriage. Do not let the spiritual help to fulfill their obligations or to help spouses foster the unity of conjugal and family life. Again, pastoral care. All right. Um, and then these canons that we just looked at. Um, are also applied to disparity of cult situations that we talked about, right? So you, you take the same approach, basically, you know, um, for mixed marriage and for disparity of cult. So um, good, we're doing we're doing pretty well here. You guys are doing good class. So um, uh, we'll just look briefly at marriage and celebrate it secretly, just to say you can. <laughs> so moving on. <laughs> um, can eleven thirty for great marriage and cause the Lord to bring in marriage and celebrate secretly? Uh, don't get involved with that. If somebody wants to speak of marriage, ask and he'll say no. I, I can. Um, this comes up though with um, with immigrants, right? With illegal immigrants, maybe some others. You know, they don't. You know, they're here. They're, if if uh, ICE finds out about them, they're going to be deported. You know, all this kind of stuff. They're, they're really, really tough situations. But, you know, we're here right here and now. And we're in love. And we want to, you know, do something about that, you know, and so forth. So it's come up. Um, uh, can, can we do a wedding in a situation like that? If you do that, you're breaking the law. You could go to jail. Okay, you're, you're violating the law. So don't just do this. If this comes up, uh, I think I might have mentioned this before. If this comes up, uh, get in touch with the Chancery Office. And that's I think I mentioned to you that uh, when I was uh, working in the tribunal, every time one of these came up, we'd get into a debate once again. You know, um, uh, it's, it's, they're, they're tough situations. Don't you do it. Uh, if, 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 uh, if there's a possibility that maybe somebody wants to have this and think maybe you should or something, um, just get in touch with the chancellor and just follow their directions. Chances are they tell you don't do it. All right. Um, and they're forbidden under canon, basically forbidden under canon law. Um, um, but for grave and urgent causes, they, uh, the local order can permit a marriage to be celebrated secretly. But, um, um, so don't worry about, about this. Uh, if it comes up, just call somebody. Don't do it on your own. But that's all. So you can you can skip uh, these canons, 1130 through 1133. Um, good. Okay. Um, we got a couple of minutes. Father, I would presume they couldn't get a marriage license, right? <laughs> you got that right. Right. So yeah, so you're breaking would, the law. We would know that there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So you're breaking the law. Yeah. It's a secret marriage. Yeah. 
Um, we'll, we'll just, we have like two minutes, so we'll just look at this uh, before next week and then continue with. The effects of marriage. The most important uh, thing that arises with a valid marriage is called the marriage bond. Uh, Can 1134. From a valid marriage, there arises between the spouses a bond which by its nature is perpetual and exclusive. Moreover, a special sacrament strengthens and, as it were, consecrates the, spou consecrates the spouses in a Christian marriage to the duties and dignity of their state. So there's this thing called the marriage bond. Uh, all sorts of things have been written on it. Um, I can't tell you exactly what it is. When you're baptized, as you know, you, you receive a character, right? Your, your, your being is, 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 um, is, is changed. Um, your, your ontological state is changed forever. Uh, the same when you're confirmed. And, and for, well, when you're ordained a priest, and I think when you're ordained a deacon also, there's some debate about that, right? So uh, I won't get into that. But, um, but there's a, um, a character, a sacramental character is one thing. Marriage doesn't have a sacramental character. First of all, not every marriage is sacramental, as we know. But it has, there's this thing called a bond. And the bond is not just an agreement. You know, we're making an agreement, and so we're committing ourselves to this. But there's, there's this thing that's there. There's this bond that kind of takes on a life of its own, as it were. You know, so, um, and, um, and that, that comes into existence when, when a couple uh, enters a valid marriage. Uh, it's a bond, and it is perpetual and exclusive, and it's strengthened uh, and consecrated in a, um, in a sacrament, sacramental marriage, but the bond exists whether it's sacramental or not. Um, so that's the issue when somebody uh, says, I, you know, I want, I, I want to break up, I want, to, I want to, an annulment or whatever it is. If there's a bond there, you know, and we can't break this bond, so that's 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 the basic effect of marriage, Canon 11, um, uh, 34. Um, and then um, okay, uh, we can go through the, the rest of the canons of this section pretty quickly next time, and then we'll get into um, the separation of the spouses and so forth, and, and declaration of melody and things like the Pauline privilege and all of that. So I think we're in pretty good shape. In terms of covering the material, and again, I know you know this, this course is uh, woefully in, inadequate for what you need, and you get all your cattle in one course, unfortunately. But uh, uh, but I think you guys you guys seem to be getting it pretty much with the, the marriage part of this course anyway. So um, okay, so we continue next time, and the next time I'll give you the uh, um, the final exam. Father, I do have one really important question before we break. Sure. Who won the car raffle? Oh, it was, um, I forget the name of the priest. It was a young priest, and it was, I think, his sister who just had a baby. Oh, <laughs> Father Ryan Muldoon, maybe? I forget who it was. But um, the sister just had a baby, 